0: Into the show, it is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imagine A Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones, in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning, July the 9th. Still, still celebrating the U.S. Women's National Team winning the World Cup on Sunday. Um, they arrived back into the States yesterday via a, a charter flight and um, were were received with uh, water cannons at the airport, um, kind of a salute, and uh, that, that was, I thought that was pretty cool. There in Newark, um, ticker tape parade tomorrow in New York City, and then Immediately after the parade, the ladies are uh, flying across the country to attend the ESPYs Wednesday night in Los Angeles. Uh, busy, uh, you know, set of days winning on Sunday. I think uh, I think things will probably start to finally calm down on Thursday, and uh, those ladies will get some well-deserved rest um, as they... Uh, have won the world cup for the fourth time. There have been eight world cups, uh, on the women's side and the U S have won half of them. They, um, they, they were a force to be reckoned with. They, uh, were by no means a perfect team. They were not a perfect sum of their parts tactically. And we talked about this during the world cup. There, there were a lot of, uh places where teams if if teams executed well could have exploited uh some weakness from this US team. Uh however, um none of the teams that they faced were able to do that. And the one the one uh big advantage that this team has and I don't think it's it's been discussed enough is the mental fortitude of this squad is is undeniable it is and it is on a level far beyond their counterparts the the top women's teams in the world um are are still nowhere near um the u s women's national team level when it comes to mental toughness um that that group believes in themselves you can see it in the way that they play. Um, and you know they rely on their individualism um, too much at times. Where tactically, I think the the collective could could be even stronger. Um, and you know would would lessen the burden on their individual performances, and and I think they would be an even bigger uh, threat and in, in a better team. All of that being said. You go into a, a tournament; all eyes are on you, all pressure is on you, and you rise to the occasion time and time again. Wasn't always pretty, uh, but they were were always able to get the the job done. I said after the 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 first match where they beat Thailand thirteen nil, that I didn't know whether they would score more. Than 13 for the rest of the tournament and that was more of a a reality check for the audience for us Um, I think I think a lot of people looked at that 13 nil opening match and they're like we're about to just run through this world cup and and I I was just a little hesitant to go there because I knew that there were some quality teams. The quality around the world is, is continuing to grow. And uh, I think the next World Cup is going to be um, a big, big challenge and hurdle for this U.S. Women's National Team. There was a lot of depth at this uh, World Cup for for the U.S. There was also a lot of, of players on, on the wrong side of 30. And um, so looking into the future, we've got to get better. We've got to, we've got to bring in some new players and we've got to start to build into our play, a more, more reliance on, on team play that celebrates and plays to the strengths of a Rose Lavelle, of a Lindsey Horan, of a Tobin Heath, um, the ability to keep possession and, um, you know, not always rely on the counterattack and and run, 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 run. Um, but, you know, that's looking ahead. Looking at this World Cup, the the teams to me that, that are going to leave this World Cup um, frustrated and wishing they had another chance were France and England. I think both of those teams... Netherlands played uh, for the first 60 minutes. Uh, they executed their tactical tactical game plan against the U.S. better um, than, than pretty much every other team in this tournament, except you know maybe Spain. I think Spain probably is another team that felt hard done by. England and France, though, uh, their frustration is going to come from the fact that they did not execute to the level that they wanted to. And, um, you know, I, I warned before both of those games that you have to get through the first 15 to 20 minutes and not let the U.S. score. If you let the U.S. score, it's going to be a tough task for you. And, and that was my one caveat. I felt like France and I had heard this from from um, quite a few uh, people that follow the, this women's national team. Uh, closely that the that France was the game that they had circled that this could be trouble they were concerned about it and I, I as well was concerned about it the one caveat that I that I felt like going into that game was the U.S. scoring early if they scored early then I thought they would hold on to win and and if they didn't score early then it could be trouble and in the netherlands executed on that game plan they held the u.s into the 60th minute and it took you know a penalty um var penalty to to turn the game if that penalty doesn't happen i don't know how the game ends up i still think the u.s probably wins but that game plan that the netherlands were executing they were executing their game plan to a higher level than england or france and that's why i think both of those teams are going to be frustrated spain and the netherlands i felt like executed their game plans um about as well as as could be expected whereas england and france did not and uh and and so the the hardest thing is when you when you go into an, a a tournament or you go into a match. Maybe you're a tennis player and you're one v one with your opponent. If you feel like you had a lot more potential that you left out on the court, or in the case of a soccer match, you left out on the pitch, you you have you have a lot more that you could have done. That's where you get regret. That's where you get the frustration you can be disappointed and you're always going to have some level of frustration but you're you're ultimately going to be primarily disappointed when you feel like you've left it all out on the field and it just wasn't good enough you can you, you can deal with that a lot easier than knowing man i could i could have and and should have beaten an opponent if i would have just executed that's where I think England and France are today, looking at these celebrations, thinking, man, woulda, coulda, shoulda, done things different. And um, I think going into the next World Cup, I think that's, that's something we've got to get prepared for over these next four years. We have the Olympics next summer in, in Tokyo, but we've got to get this next generation ready. The culture that's been created within the U.S. women's national team, winning in 91, 99, uh, 2015, and 2019, there's a culture there of winning, of, of expecting excellence. All of that, I think, is going to, to stay intact in the near future, but I think what we need to do is complement that with with new players, younger players, and play better from a you know tactical perspective um when we when we contrast that with the men's performance in the gold cup number one it is the gold cup is one of the um weakest confederation cups in the world and a confederation cup means you know north and central america all of the countries of north and central america the South American Confederation, all the countries of South America, so on and so forth. Our cup of North and Central America, including the Caribbean, is 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 a pretty weak cup called the Gold Cup. And um, the U.S. did not play well throughout the tournament, struggled. Um, I don't understand the personnel. I don't understand the substitutions. I don't understand you know, what the what the plan is. You look at some of the pregame warm-ups with some of the quote-unquote rondos. Um, that's embarrassing. I mean, I don't care if it's a warm-up or not. I mean, you, you, you play how you practice, how you train. And if you're going to walk out on the field and your warm-up is literally just to stand there and just kind of nonchalant, tap the ball around, get off the field. Don't wear the jersey. Walk away. Um, You don't need a coach to tell you that. That is a, that that Rondo is not a, is not a stand around in a circle and kind of goof off Rondo. I get that. Teams do that all the time. They get in a circle and they kind of, ole, ole, and they're playing, you know, and just kind of, this was a tactical Rondo. I don't know if you've seen the video footage. And there's U.S. players in a in a square, and you've got a couple defenders in the middle, and it's just like we're doing it because we were t- – th- this is what it looked like. It. I'm cleaning my room, Dad, because you told me to, but I don't really want to, so I'm just going to kind of walk around and kind of pout that I'm having to clean my room. I'm not going to try my best, and I'm just going to kind of look like I'm doing it, but I'm really not going to do it because I don't really agree with what you told me. This was the attitude – that that it looked like with with these US men's national team players. We're gonna do this rondo because you told us to do this rondo, but there's no coach around that was demanding excellence, demanding intensity, making sure they were they were ready. It was all nonchalant. And um it you know if you're the US women's national team, you've earned the deference. You've earned the opportunity To have a pass. Maybe you're, you know, maybe they're warming up, what have you, doing some stuff and kind of goofing off. You're the U.S. men's national team. You've been terrible for a while. Under Greg Berhalter, hasn't gotten better. Lately, in the Gold Cup, to me, I think it's gotten worse. And that's what you're going to look like before a match against your confederation rivals in Mexico? This is the problem. Two cultures, two national teams. One strives for excellence, demands accountability of their peers. The other is just going through the motions. The only way we change that culture on the men's side Starts with leadership that includes the players, but it starts with the coaching staff. If I'm a coach and I look out and I see my players behaving that way before a match, we got issues and you can see the sloppiness of play on the field. Which is what is more concerning when you watch that trashy Rondo. They don't seem to care. The intensity level is not there. And when we watch the team play, there's poor execution all over the place. We are not going to be a country that's going to be able to win anything when we are relying on some of the players that we have. In this lineup we should be bringing in some of these young players getting ready for the Olympics and starting over looking back to a a group of players that that failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup and hadn't won anything anyway in the last years before that and we're going nowhere fast that's not getting us ready for the future we've got to take those steps to go forward and do what's necessary to reach for excellence speaking of excellence our sponsor this half hour is ductic brand d-u-k-t-i-g brand.com ductic brand is a maker of journals uh, if you're a coach you need a notebook and you're running a team this is this is the notebook you need to get uh, incredible products use the promo code dw show You'll get 10% off your order, DW show to get 10% off your order at ducticbrand.com. We'll be right back with Jonathan Rednauer right after this. back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning, July the 9th. We are pleased to be joined by none other than Jonathan Rednauer. He is uh, Director of Operations and wearer of many hats with the Gulf Coast Premier League. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back uh, on the show this morning.
1: Looking forward to the, uh, the discussion.
0: We are. We're glad that you are here. Um, the season uh, began uh, just a, a few weeks ago, and uh, as w- many of these uh, leagues that that operate with this kind of summer style uh, setup, uh, you're you're nearing the end of the regular season, and you're you're staring down the playoffs ahead. Before we get into playoffs and and, and matchups and, and teams um that that could be matching up going forward uh what have you thought so far as you have looked at this 2019 season kind of uh, a season in rewind looking back
1: um you know i think 2019 kind of brought a lot of perspective i guess you would say on on how we operate on what our teams our clubs are are looking for and um It'll definitely give us a lot to talk about at our next board meeting and definitely moving forward with you know, making sure that the rules that we have set in place, that um, there's certain guidelines and there's obviously certain things that protect our clubs from certain situations. So we're it definitely was a, a much bigger learning experience um, than it has been in the past. And we're actually very excited about it because that means that as our clubs demand more and as our fans demand more, it just means that. We're becoming more popular and, and we just have to tighten our belts on our end and continue to you know promote and build a good product
0: in terms of some of the the lessons learned uh, what what if you could pick one what what would be something that coming into this year that you've learned that in years past maybe wasn't as big of an issue but this year you're kind of looking at it going okay hey let's rethink this
1: um, I would probably say the biggest thing is that we're starting to have clubs that, that in our, in our, in the GCPO that have, you know, AFC Mobile was probably the first to really kind of take it to the next level. Uh, Port City has definitely up their game. And there's a couple others that have really tried and, and really have, you know, put forth the effort to create um, that environment, to try to create uh, a sense of community around that club that gets their local, um, their local area to, to get support them. And so, you know, obviously Tallahassee has come on board and we've been very excited and very pleased with them. And they've really kind of, almost brought the league to another level. So with that, a lot of our clubs that have, you know, some that have started with us, you know, since day one and, you know, some that have joined along the way, um, they're still, you know, a learning curve, I guess, for a lot of them is, is trying to create that off the field. um, uh, I guess that, that part of their club is, you know, creating that off the field uh, experience. And so with that, it has been a challenge in certain times for the clubs that have been doing that and for the clubs that are not doing that um, so much. So that's probably the biggest one is trying to mediate that gap and try to work with both, you know, I guess both spectrums of, of the GCPL when it comes to that sense. And that's probably been the biggest challenge so far, trying to get everybody up to par to what we need um, to continue to grow, you know, the league to where we want it to be.
0: So in terms of the off-the-field stuff and in some of the – the um, Comments or feedback you've heard from the clubs, like a Tallahassee, like an AFC Mobile, like a Port City, who have put in a lot of effort uh, off the field, um, away from game day, to to build a community presence, community environment, um, etc. Uh, what what is some of that? Uh, what is some of that feedback that you're hearing? And 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 what do you look at in terms of is the cause of the gap between those who have reached that kind of level where they're pr- pressing ahead, pushing the excellence uh, meter up, versus some who who are a little bit further behind in that process?
1: I will I will blame uh, Louisiana for being so far behind when it comes to soccer uh, on this. And this is this is true because you look at AFC Mobile, they have a board of seven to nine members. You know, Tallahassee has a great board, and Port City has a great board, and um, there's a there's a few other clubs that have definitely worked very well um, having a team around them to to build what they have. And so we still are operating. Um, some clubs are still operating with one or two people, um, and it's basically club basically falls if that one or two you know two people decide to hang it up. So. It's it's more so about finding others that are invested in, in your vision or invested in the overall vision of, of creating a better um, environment for these these top level players in your area. So I'd probably say that's that's probably the biggest challenge. And that's probably what you know when we ask some of these clubs to kind of up their game. That's the first thing that they say is like, hey, listen, you know, it's just it's just me and him or me and her, and it's just uh you know, it, and I personally. I've worked with clubs to where I have been the one-man show or a part of a one- or two-man show, so I can understand the struggle. Again, it's just finding the right people. It really is. It's finding the right people that that share the same, the same passion and vision that you do and, you know, all working towards a common goal. So I think as the league grows, um, we're getting there. I think people are starting to turn their heads. People are starting to pay a little more attention to their local clubs, and that's good. But, uh, again, it's just, again, developing relationships and working with like-minded people to to grow
0: in in terms of growth and and kind of the next chapter the next phase uh you have 18 teams stretching from central texas to tallahassee florida uh it's a it's a pretty big geographical swath there with 18 teams but you have sixteen that are concentrated: Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, Alabama, and the in in Pensacola area. Uh, when you when you look at the landscape of regional play and and these teams, how is how important is it as part of these conversations you're having with your clubs? Uh, travelability, the ability to, to, to be as local as possible for matches and games, cutting down expenses, uh, hotels, et cetera, as you kind of continue to build out the next phase of the league.
1: Um, that's, that's very important to be honest with you. And, and clubs like central Texas Lobos and, and Tallahassee, we've had to you know definitely have conversations with, and, you know, they obviously are, are taking the brunt of the travel and, um, they're they're doing so and, and i guess in a belief that you know the the league is best fits what they're trying to achieve and, and we trying to work with them as much as we can and trust me we would love to close in the gaps and you know I've, I've told central texas many times that the moment that we can find four or five other texas teams i'd love to push them out there to where they have their own conference and obviously their travel would go down a bunch and then we can kind of concentrate, you know, more of the Louisiana-Mississippi teams together, and this same for Tallahassee. We'd love to kind of continue to build out in that area to where it, it it's more concentrated for them, and we're trying to do that, and that's something that um, we focus on heavily because, again, I, you know, me being from New Orleans, and, you know, if I had Baton Rouge come down to play one of my New Orleans teams at or the North Shore, I mean, these are teams that are literally an hour away. I have friends that live out there, so it does become a little more of a derby sense. It does you know, you, you have a little more oomph behind it when you have teams that are so close in proximity. It, it just adds a little of that Derby feel. And uh, we want to kind of, you know, capture that. So that's why one of our big focuses is trying to keep everything condensed. And, uh, you know, next year for 2020, as we're looking to continue to grow, I think next year is about retention, about making sure that our clubs are able to continue building and growing. And, you know, we just, we we love the fact that since 2000. 15, we haven't had any of our clubs really, um, you know, maybe two or three that have kind of dropped out, but that's, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that that number stays low. We'd rather see all the clubs that we have now stick around for 2020 and, and beyond, and hopefully in 10 years they're still there. They've developed and grew and they have a huge fan base. So that's that's our main goal. But yeah, definitely staying local is a huge thing.
0: In, in terms of, you know, growing the league and um, you know, we, we can talk about growing number of teams and getting more uh teams in Texas, more teams closer to Tallahassee. Um what about growing the clubs that you have internally in terms of helping them with their boards, and growing the the number of, of, of core people that are part of each of the clubs and and being able to then help them uh be able to kind of utilize that, uh, growth in terms of leadership to leverage that for, you know, um, more hustle, more growth, more connections, more community, et cetera, in terms of engagement and, and growth going forward.
1: Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll touch back on what I said, you know, in 2020, I guess our biggest thing is well, yes, we're looking to grow, um, but I think our biggest focus will be retention. It'll be making sure that the clubs we have stick around and that they um, are able to continue to build what they've already started. And that's, that's going to be probably our biggest focus um, for 2020 is to continue to build what we have. I mean, I think what we have is is a nice core. I think this is definitely something that should, um, should be continued to be focused on and We'll be we'll be looking to do that, and so I guess, like you said, the you know a man with many hats. I guess one of the downfalls of that is that everybody has my phone number, <laughs> um, and you know, working as the league commissioner and then working as you know, uh, I guess, a friend to a lot of these these team owners. it, it is kind of a challenge because I want to I want to work with them. I want to send them a text and say, hey, you know, how's this weekend? You know, what what can we do to help? But also, you know, also have to play you know the commissioner role as well and making sure the teams are up to par on certain things and so um, we're hoping that next year we can get ourselves an executive director which we've kind of already started with the hiring process and and looking for somebody that kind of take over the commissioner role and allow me and and Jeremy our president to kind of focus more on building relationships with our clubs and finding out what we can do to help
2: in
0: in terms of um, being able to raise standards of excellence Raise, you know, operating standards. Uh, you know, raise kind of league standards for your clubs to continue to elevate the the, the club experience, the community experience, the match day experience, etc. Where are you guys in, at now in terms of fees? What are you What are you looking at in terms of right now? Where you are in terms of some of those minimum standards, and and do you foresee any changes to to the either of those, either the fees or the policies uh, going forward here in the near future? Maybe not next year, but in the year or two to come uh, after that, in terms of raising standards for the clubs that you have.
1: Um, yes, yeah, we have. So, I mean, in 2019 for the AGM, we we discussed it, and we basically told everybody for 2020, you know, us being in a provisional year with USASA as a as a you know multi state slash regional um league with usasa there's minimum standards that they're asking for now those minimum standards were kind of what we already had in place but we're looking kind of to take it up to the next level and so we're almost almost kind of demanding exactly what the national league would um in a sense when it comes to stadiums and you know having a trainer um, you know just just the things that makes the overall game day experience better for not only for the players but also for the fans and and the staff so those are set in place. Um, those were implemented this year, and while we were a little lenient on it, just so we can make sure that teams are, are you know, being able to catch up to it. Uh, for 2020, we have told everybody that we will be tightening our belts, and you know, that's why again we're looking for somebody to kind of take over that commissioner executive director role, to where they can be the person to lay down the law. Um, while again, while I can continue to still be friends with all of our club owners and continue working with them to to help them grow. So. Um, that is something that will be implemented in 2020 is definitely a more strict um, guidelines when it comes to minimum standards. So that is going to be in place. As for fees, um, I don't think we're going to budge. I think we're going to stay where we are, um, which is $2,000 um, at the moment. And I think the only thing that we'll probably raise is going to be the bond. Um, we'll, we'll probably raise that a little more just because there will be a little more penalty if, if minimum standards are not met. So That's probably the only big change that really will happen. Other than that, again, it's just going to be us working with our clubs and trying to get them to continue to grow within their community.
0: Looking at the success of AFC Mobile, this is their third year in the league. They are finally making the playoffs um, in their third year, even though they've been setting all kinds of benchmarks for attendance. Uh, the guys over there at AFC Mobile have been doing a, an outstanding job in, in being able to get into the community and, and get crowds out for game days um, in, in their three-year uh, existence. Uh, finally kind of seeing that on-field um, success uh, finally start to, to catch up with their off-the-field uh, stadium environment, stadium attendance success. When you look at a club like AFC Mobile, how do you, as a league, start to figure out ways to replicate that around the league for the other, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 teams in the GCPL?
1: Um, you know, we, we kind of take a page out of a lot of people's books, you know, I've AFC Mobile is definitely, you know, I've appreciated the board kind of, you know, we've sat down many times and I've talked to, you know, Abram many times and Jeff and, and JT and those guys and really kind of pick their brain on how they get things done. And again, them being able to have uh, the support they have, which, you know, is, is five or six guys that are really strong um, that are kind of doing this day to day. And they, obviously they're doing voluntarily um, kind of really gives them the, the boost to kind of be the club that they are. And so when we, when we speak with this, you know, we speak about this to, to other clubs, we try to do so without basically saying like, Hey, AFC Mobile is doing this. Why aren't you doing this? You know, we try to not really kind of approach them like that. Um, but we try to, in a sense, say, Hey, this is what AFC Mobile did, or this is what Tallahassee did. Or, you know, this is or even just not even a particular GCPL team. We can, you know, point out any other team from, from around the country and kind of share that with them. Um, and, most of the time, it just kind of comes down to, again. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take Cajun for example. Cajun Soccer Club, which has been around since day one, they're pro, you know they're attached to one of the largest uh, Louisiana youth clubs and very successful at that. They're actually their 18, 19 year old girls won regionals and they're going to nationals. I mean, it's a very good club. And the one thing that's very impressive about them is that they have 90% of their players are from their academy that play on their GCPL team, and they're you know, pretty competitive. They made it to the finals last year and the year before. Um, so, but that's that's kind of their thing. That's their thing is they're more focused on the development. They're more focused on you know keeping their guys in the game longer than just 17, 18 years old. Um, when it becomes, you know, when it comes to the off the field stuff, they're trying and they're and they're working towards it and they're really it's having it's having to have them take a take a second to really kind of step back and realize that for them to continue to grow their youth maybe it does take a little more effort to grow their adult and they, they've done a lot of things this year that's kind of really helped them um, move in the right direction with that so I can approach them and say hey this is what other clubs have done but again I can't really say that doing that daily or, or saying you know kind of pushing it on them is going to be healthy because I feel as though that Every club kind of needs to grow at their own pace, in a sense. And that's kind of what we've been about since day one is the organic growth. And so while, yes, we think AFC Mobile definitely has the right model, we have to be careful with our other clubs that necessarily aren't trying to follow that model. You see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I do. That's
1: kind of been the biggest challenge, I would say.
0: No, I, I get that. I, I think I think one of the things that clubs are are always looking for are best practices, good ideas, learning, uh, especially if you've got leadership that that is 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 you know have a that has a pro growth mentality, um, and and so you know being able to have that conversation with your clubs and saying, okay, hey, here's some things we're seeing. Here's some things we're learning. Have you tried this? Have you looked at this, et cetera? And one of the biggest keys in this is there's a lot of, of, of good ideas out there. It's a lot harder to find people who are actually willing to put in the work to implement the good ideas. Um, the hustle and, and, and the follow-through um, to, to, to reach uh, those levels of, of success is really predicated not just on good ideas; it's on good people who who are putting in the effort. They're putting in the time. They're they're having the dinner conversations. They're you know getting into the community. They're they're making sure the media is covering them. All of this legwork. Um, a lot of people think about soccer and and they just think about you know the day of the moment. Okay, we're kicking a ball. We're playing a game. But all of that preparation that goes into creating a game day experience, a game day environment, what does that look like? You know, if we're a generational club, how do our kids play a part in every match day that are part of our club? Um, so, you know, I think you when you think through those, you know, ideas... Um, you know, ideas uh, are like opinions. Everybody's got one, Um, (laughs) right? So it's not about having ideas. I think at some point, it's also about executing. On ideas that is really what separates an AFC Mobile and in a Tallahassee. I mean, look, I I, I went to to uh, Tallahassee earlier this season and, and caught the uh, Tallahassee Gulf Coast Rangers match. Um, and although the 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 field itself uh, was was not a, a great playing surface uh, where they were playing, the the environment that they created uh, around that. Kind of build a field for a day, kind of set up right there by um, Doak Campbell Stadium, and in that whole college town uh, setup that they have uh, right across the street was outstanding, and um, and and you could really tell that the the community um was buying in they they really were enjoying um what what Tallahassee um has been doing this year in 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 building and then you know obviously them them being able to match that with some on-field success making the playoffs in their first year um as well uh in the east i think is is you know Rewarding for all of their work and their efforts, and uh, very much so. As you as you look at the way the league has played out, you the East, you have a Central, and um, in is it North or West? West, West. So West, Central, East. I, 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 you know, I, I keep expecting like to check Twitter tomorrow and there's going to be like a Southeast and a Southwest and a Northwest. You, know, you guys are always having conversations, right? So I want to make sure I get my, my terminology right. So yes, East, East, Central and West. How are the playoffs shaping up? Are all the spots settled um, or, or is there still something to play for this weekend? You know, how how is the season played out from that standpoint?
1: So um, West and East are pretty much locked up in the West. Uh, Boca and Louisiana crew have have qualified. They both sit at 20 points with Boca sitting at uh, sitting above them due to the the head to head rule that we have in our um, that we have for as a tiebreaker. So uh, Boca defeated crew two to one early on and they tied the second game. So Boca holds that that head to head tie Uh, in the central North Shore United won the central this past weekend beating FC New Orleans and uh, Matagua and FC New Orleans both sit at 18 points, but FC New Orleans has defeated Matagua twice, and so they have the head-to-head um, tiebreaker. And basically, Matagua is hoping that Mississippi Blues, who who's definitely struggled this year, is is able to upset uh, FC New Orleans this weekend. That'll be their only chance of, of entering the playoffs. And Metagua also has to deal with playing F, uh, North, North shore F, I'm sorry, North shore United, um, this weekend. So that'll be a tough task for them as well. And then in the East is pretty much settled up with Tallahassee and AFC mobile. So a lot of these teams right now have qualified FC new Orleans and, and Matagawa are the only two that are really fighting for the last spot, but it's more so of kind of the seating right now, because we do go up a goal differential for the seating, um, with North Shore currently sitting at one, Boca sitting at two, uh, Louisiana Crew is sitting at three, FC New Orleans at four, and then Tallahassee at five and AFC Mobile at six. And so, yeah, Tallahassee and AFC Mobile are playing for something. They're playing to to win and hope that, you know, FC New Orleans or or um, you know, Louisiana Crew or Boca drop to where they're able to get a higher seed, which means that they would be able to host or they get a bye and, you know, get to the semifinals. So there still is something to play for and it's, you know, a lot of exciting football, to be honest with you, to be played this week.
0: Well, I, I know that AFC Mobile is going to be amped up for their their last match. It's a derby match, the Mobile Bay Derby but between them and Gulf Coast Rangers. They will be at the Gulf Coast Rangers on Saturday. They have yet in two seasons to even earn a point uh, against the Gulf Coast Rangers. They've lost all three matches. Uh, there's some history there. I I I will. I am sure that. Uh, that those guys are, are are going to be amped up for Saturday, regardless of playoffs or goal difference. Um, you know, I, I would not say throw out throw out the records. You know, it's a derby match. Uh, I don't think we have enough history yet for that. Um, right. Um, but I would say that I do think that they're going to, you know, for pride's sake, I think both teams are going to want to um, have a say about uh, oh, the way that oh, that's, that's, that, that goes out on Saturday. That,
1: that is not gonna be a lay down game for, for Rangers. I think Rangers will be hundred percent making sure that they they continue to be the thorn in AFC Mobile's side, which I mean, you know, they, they were earlier this year and um, I, I expect a, a a great match to be honest with you. So and the same and I think the same for Port City who's you know, was had a little late resurgence to kinda of come in, but didn't didn't quite get there. But I, I think they'll continue to probably play for Um, and let Tallahassee know that, hey, we were the champs last year, and before you go into the playoffs, we want you to know that.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely.
1: A lot of of good games going on this week.
0: So your playoff structure, you have one and two get a bye, three host six, four host five, and then um, are those one-off playoff games? Are they home and home? What is your playoff structure uh, for those who may not be familiar with the way the GCPL works with your Three different conferences and in, in your in your playoff structure.
1: Yeah, so I mean, we basically kind of took a, a a page out of the NFL playoff uh, book. I hate to say that, but that's kind of how our, our playoffs are structured. So yeah, it is. It this, is. One this
0: interview may are. be deleted for the uh, audience. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, yeah, just messed with you.
1: But I mean, it, it it makes more sense to some of the people that may have, um, you know, don't know too much about our league and and follow the NFL. So that hopefully. Um, allows them to kind of understand a little better, but yeah, one and two get a, uh, a buy and then three hosts, six, four hosts, five, and then the, the highest seed. So say if six were to win, um, then either four or five would go play one. Uh, and then, you know, I'm sorry. I have it backwards. No, no, uh, six would go play one and then four or five would go play two. Um, so anyway, yeah, so it's high seed, highest seed basically plays the, uh, the lowest seed in the second round. So four or five would go play uh, the second seed Uh, and vice versa. Three wins and three would play two and then four or five would go play one. So it's kind of, again, it's, it's very similar to what the NFL set up. So yeah, it's just one game, one and done. And the reason why we do that is it's just the end of the season. We really don't have that much time. Um, Once August hits, a lot of these college boys go back. And so we're really just trying to, trying to make sure that all these teams are strong because we've, We've seen it in the past with you know some of the other national leagues where they've had their national championship you know go into the middle of August. And I thought I think what two years ago we saw a team get drubbed seven nothing because basically their whole team left you know after after August first. So we're trying to avoid that. So yeah, so July 2nd, 20th sorry July 20th will be our quarterfinals. The 24th will be our semis, and then the 27th will be our finals
0: so uh in the future instead of having to use your nfl reference uh you can lean <laughs> you can lean on the english football league championship uh pro- promotion playoffs so one and two gets a buy in in promoted into the premier league and then three, four, oh, five, you're right. And six, right
1: yeah
0: yeah right? so so we we but one can, and two doesn't
1: have to play though that's that's the thing they don't have to play they're, they're already in there
0: yeah well we can say it's at least similar right <laughs>
1: I won't mention NFL
0: again. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm just messing with you. So uh, so looking at the way that the league has shaped up this year, um, obviously in the East, you've got two um, brand-new uh, playoff teams. Neither team has ever made the playoffs. Obviously, Tallahassee's first year. AFC Mobile, in, uh, in, this is year three for them, finally making the playoffs. Um, and, and they hosted the the championship game last year. How is the league um, going to handle the, the playoffs and the championship game this year? Is it going to be neutral site or is it going to go to the highest seed uh, left at that point of uh, the playoffs?
1: So yeah, our, our goal is to to give it to the highest seed because we feel as though obviously they'd be able to um, play in front of their home crowd, which obviously would probably be Bring more fans, and it just add a little more, little more fire to the to the competition, which is what we want. We want, you know, the home team to feel like they've accomplished something, um, playing in front of their fans, and obviously for the traveling team, it'll it'll be a great experience for them to sit there and play in such a tough atmosphere. So, that's currently how we have it structured: is that the highest seed will will host the championship.
0: Is is there a uh, a purse or a prize uh, trophy? What, what is the the champion of the of the Gulf Coast Premier League in 2019 going to walk away from at the end of the night?
1: Uh, They're going to walk away with uh, some t shirts and a trophy. Um, that that is kind of how we have it set up as of as of right now. You know, being that we operate completely on on you know seasonal entry fees and. There's no franchise fees and you know when it comes to sponsorships we kind of work off of trade that we more do you know monetize um uh you know trade-offs at, at the moment so for right now uh a trophy and some t-shirts and then it has been talk about uh moving forward with allowing our champion to enter the next season entry free so that's still something being discussed
0: so when you look at the landscape of, of american soccer uh at this level a regional level amateur level um what do you think is is most pressing in terms of improvement at this level of the game in america
1: uh just getting involvement i mean grassroots involvement in general just you know a lot of a lot of soccer fans um and it's and it's tough to say because you know be, me being in soccer, I, I coach, you know, I help run a league. I, I work at a, uh, you know, in a, a store that basically sells soccer gear to you know basically all of Louisiana, Mississippi. So I speak with a lot of people, and the one thing that I run into a lot, and I've it kind of baffles me, is that there are, there are a lot of parents that are heavily invested in their children, heavily invested in their children, and and they they not they haven't necessarily enjoy the sport for what it is more so than they have enjoyed it for their kids enjoying the sport. So they're kind of living through their kids' passion, which is there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as, you know, uh, I mean, every parent should enjoy what their kids do. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say because I feel as though that just, it needs to be more interest and more people interested in doing grassroots soccer. Um, there's a lot of guys that I know that they're big into following Real Madrid and that's their thing, and that anything below Real Madrid is, is nothing worse on their radar. Um, and it's kind of hard to sit there and explain to them that. Where do you think Real Madrid gets those types of players? At some point, they were grassroots. At some point, they played in a youth club that probably barely made any money, that, you know, is a part of a Division Four you know, team that's in a, in a country that, you know um, – it, it, it's, I, I don't know, just I guess the, the thing I'm trying to say is that there just needs to be more people invested and interested in helping out the grassroot level. I think once that happens, once we get more people to realize that let's build something in our community, let's not go chasing after a Division One or bringing a pro team to New Orleans, Or and I'm using New Orleans for example because it's always like, oh, MLS in New Orleans or USL to New Orleans and it's, we don't even have a team in New Orleans that pulls in more than 500 people to a game. We haven't even captured New Orleans. Um, you know Chattanooga and Detroit City are cities that you know. I mean Detroit obviously is bigger than New Orleans, but Chattanooga is slightly, slightly you know smaller than New Orleans. Yet they're pulling four or five thousand, six thousand people to a game. And you know I've I've been to Jesters games and they barely pull four or five hundred people. And then same with Matagua and FC New Orleans, you know same thing around four or five hundred people. So. I just think we need to kind of capture that first before we start thinking about big picture, you know, help Baton Rouge grow, help Gulfport grow, help, you know, all these local communities grow. Let's build up this to where a Baton Rouge and New Orleans game is three, 4,000 strong. You know, and you are talking about something that is just right down a road from you? You can travel an hour down the road, you know? So I just think once people start to get a little more involved with their local clubs and, and building that and, and continue to, to help these players develop beyond 16, 17, 18 years old, I think that's when we'll start seeing a change.
0: One of the things I, I have observed and and have had many conversations with clubs around the country, leadership within state associations and others, is the, the level of, of the relationship between a family and a club or a soccer organization. So if you you, you mentioned you know you have parents who are investing all this money into their kids um, and they and playing. Um, one of the thing the the terms that I use is, is it is a transactional relationship. Uh, too often, a lot of times with these youth clubs, it is it is a relationship that is is an inch deep in a, in a mile wide. Uh, there's not a lot of depth there. So whenever these kids finish the program at 17, 18, or 12, or 13, or whatever, the family is like, okay, well, that chapter's over. Like, we, we paid the fees, we dropped you off at practice. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for this, um, and, and we could we could do you know three hours on on this one topic of why this is the way it is and why it's a problem and it needs to get better. But I I think that when we look at families, soccer families in this country youth clubs in particular um, who who are kind of the first point of contact and reference for these families as to what is a soccer club and how are you going to help my son or daughter uh, learn the game, play the game, enjoy the game, experience the game, etc. We've got to get better at getting these relationships beyond a tra- transactional relationship and, in building deeper bonds, um, creating soccer families for life, not just a soccer player for 10 years uh, where mom or mom or dad are going to write the checks. They're going to pay the bills. And then when they graduate out of your program, you never see from or hear from them again, unless maybe they come back 20 years later with grandkids. Um, We've got to do a better job at that. If you are a generational club in the U.S you've got to start to find ways to be better not always looking to nickel and dime and i get it you're running a business you're running you know that's that's how you make your livelihood as a club i I understand that but we still have got to find a way to be better at developing relationships and 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 i've heard it from parents for years all over the country you talk to them that are in the pay to play system and they say, look, I just feel like they're, they're always asking for money. They're always nickel and diming us every time yep. they, they want to, you know, I pay all these fees and then they come right back and say, we'll pay us 50 bucks to come and train for this or come to do this. We've got to get to a place where we're looking at lifetime value of these families, not just transact transaction by transaction value for these families so there's a lot of like right now in the immediate I got to get paid versus what is the lifetime value of a customer if I build a lifelong relationship with them that goes beyond 10 years what if they're what if they're members of our club for 50 years what is that worth and what can we do now so that they're here in 30 years not going away in five um, and I think I think it it has a trickle down effect when you look at a club like an AFC Mobile, like a Tallahassee, like a Port City that don't have, they're not generational clubs. They don't have a youth club uh, academy below their first team, and they feel that because it, it it becomes very difficult for them to build deep bonds because these families are already have been educated just in their relationships with their with their kids youth clubs that soccer is a transactional relationship. So, what do you want for me? Why do you want this for me? You <laughs> see what I'm saying? Yep. And and so I think I think you know when when we look at it from a business perspective, American soccer clubs are in general poorly run as businesses. They don't look at long term relationships. They don't look at lifetime value of customers. There are some who do, and I am not in any way saying this is all American clubs. But by and large, most American soccer clubs are only fixated on right now. And they're and from a business standpoint, if you if you were to come in and audit them as an organization from a business perspective they're just not doing a good enough job. And, and to me, we've got to get to a place where that becomes a, a, a more important
2: part of what we do, building lifelong relationships with our our soccer families
0: in our communities. Um, As you look at uh, the GCPL in this season, uh, would you rank it as a success and in if not, what would you want to do to, to make it a success in 2020 if, if it if you do think it was a success, I would I would still ask what would you like to see the GCPL look like in 2020?
1: Um, I'll rank it as a, a success. Uh, I think the level of play on the field has definitely grown since day one. Um, you know you're starting to see, High-level players that would normally, you know, leave our region to go play for a PDL or NPSL team stick around. Um, you know, you're even seeing like I, You know, I think I've spoken to you before, FC New Orleans, which is uh, a good amount of former pro and our current pro players that have, you know, come in here for the summer to to get some extra, um, extra playing time. You know, before they go back into their their homeland and continue playing. So the level of play is definitely is definitely up, and I think for us, we have to take that and consider that as as a win. Because, um, you know, we can sit here and create game day experiences for the fans all we want. But but at the end of the day, it's it's about, you know, for us, it's, you know, one of the main things is about developing our local players and putting them in a league or a situation that makes them feel um, or puts them in a situation that, you know, challenges them. And really, I think that is something that we have achieved uh, with the 2019 season. I think off the field, we've we've done a great job with, especially with the addition of the new clubs, Louisiana crew uh Tallahassee and FC New Orleans so I think those guys and even Hattiesburg has definitely you know come in and and they're off the off the field you know fans and and support has been high you know you're talking about 200 to 300 people per game so um I think for new clubs coming in getting those type of numbers again I think that's a win-win so um I think we have definitely succeeded with the 2019 season and you know of course we still have a couple weeks left so hopefully uh while I say this everything from here on continues to run smoothly um things that we can definitely improve on. Uh, again, I would love to get to a point to where the league is averaging five, six, seven hundred 700 people a game. I think once we can get to that, to where every team is really pulling in those type of numbers, um, <clears throat> that's when the sponsorships will come. That's when businesses will start to take notice and say, hey, y'all are doing something great. We want to invest in y'all. We want to be a part of what y'all are doing. We want to work together. Um, and then I think once that starts happening, then these teams can start sustaining themselves. They can start focusing on becoming generational clubs, working towards a youth model, um, continuing to grow their club, developing players. I think it all continues to fall into place uh, once we can kind of get there.
0: Well, I uh, as as someone who has has taken in uh, several games uh, for the GCPL uh, this uh, this year, I, I think it's been definitely growing from years past, and uh, I look forward to uh, these playoffs, and uh, wish you guys all the success in the world going forward. Really do appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today, and uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, the playoffs and uh, and the weeks ahead and uh, the eventual. 2019 GCPL champion being crowned later this month so Jonathan thanks for spending some time with us we'll uh, we'll have you back on again soon I appreciate it sir enjoy your trip to Europe thank you thank you my man thank you alright that was Jonathan Rednauer and he is the uh, Director of Operations Commissioner wearer of many hats for the GCPL we appreciate him coming on spending some time with us um I really do, really do appreciate him coming on and sharing insight into the league. It's it's vital that we have more of this going on around the country. And I'm really, really appreciative for him sharing his thoughts and ideas as well. So our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. And join their story, and it can be part of your story. Providing clean drinking water to people all over the world at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this.
2: No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. bad water and a lack of toilets. It kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything. Or you could know that you've made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region, there was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens.
0: Thanks for coming on, um, and, and watching today. Thanks for Jonathan Rednauer joining us today. Uh, really do appreciate him big news today that we want to close the show with. We will be doing a European tour starting on Monday, and we will be, uh, in Europe for three weeks doing the show all over the place, Amsterdam, Paris, Liverpool, London, Copenhagen, uh, and others. Look forward to bringing that to you and more news coming over the next few days as we get ready for that tour thanks uh for tuning in today we look forward to seeing everybody again tomorrow as always weekdays live at 9 a.m eastern standard time we'll see everybody tomorrow